it's been the season of the resurrection and we've looked at a number of um, aspects of the resurrection and how it affects our lives and we're shifting gear today and moving towards the next great moment in the life of the church, Pentecost. Let me read two quotes that I sent to you uh, last Sunday, one from Pete Gregg and the other from Nikki Gumbel from Holy Trinity Brompton. Pete Gregg says, prayer is actually pretty much the most important thing in life. Prayer is actually pretty much the most important thing in life. And Nikki Gumbel said this, prayer is the most important activity of our lives. So today I want to address Pentecost with respect to prayer. And I'm going to read from the NIV in a moment from Acts chapter 4, but just to give it his, its context, because I think it's really important. If we're going to understand prayer in the context of Pentecost, then we need to get the sweep of what's actually happening here. So in chapter 1 in Acts, we have Jesus meeting with the disciples, uh, the promise of God's gift of the Holy Spirit that would come and immerse them in God's presence and power, and then the ascension of Jesus and the waiting. In chapter 2 in Acts, we have the time where they are meeting together in a room all together and the Holy Spirit is literally poured out onto them and there's tongues of fire. Um, Peter, as a result, preaches to the assembled crowd over an extended uh, sermon. And that day, it says, approximately 3,000 people were baptized. And then it shifts a gear and it moves into chapter 3 in Acts. And you have Peter and John on their way to the temple and they are accosted by this man who sits at the gate and has been begging his whole life because he is lame. He can't walk. For 40 years he's been like that and he gets healed. And that results in Peter's capacity to preach to the assembled crowd that um, gathers with the exuberant excitement of this healing. And then what happens in chapter 4, where we are going to come now, is that the temple uh, and the elders, all the, the, uh, temp the priests, the, the, the guys who are in control of what's happening, are somewhat spooked by this. And they arrest Peter, and he is stuck in jail for the night because they don't quite know what to do with him. And then, as it goes through um, chapter 4 in Acts, we have the Sanhedrin, which is the council, which is the chief priests. It's all the, it's all the who's who in authority in the land, who happen to be together because it's this great feast. And they bring Peter before them, and he... Is he's able to speak again. So they've spoken to whosoever in Acts 2. He's spoken to, to just about everybody who's who in, in Acts chapter 2. In chapter 3, he speaks to those who are assembled probably close to the temple. And now he gets a chance to have a talk directly to the power brokers of Israelite religious life. They don't know what to do with him. They literally it says so and they let him go. And the passage that we're going to read now is at that moment where Peter is released from prison, having spoken to this assembled authority. And it says in chapter 
4 verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand and to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Here we have the first recorded prayer after they have been uh, fooled, baptized, immersed in God's powerful Holy Spirit. And it's a communal prayer. It's a fiery prayer. It comes as they are assembled together as friends, as servants of Jesus, disciples together. Now, obviously, they'd prayed before Pentecost. In fact, there was a lot of praying going on after Jesus died and before the resurrection and after the resurrection. But this is different. This is uh, worth recording as far as Luke is concerned. It says in verse 24, they raised their voices together in prayer. Now, together where two or three are gathered in my name and you agree on anything, I will do it. Jesus had spoken to them before about the, the power of unity in prayer. But there's something different here. There's a word in Greek, omathumadon. Um, now, don't, my Greek um, pronunciation is awful, but it's, it's, it has something about this togetherness, this together voices, raising voices together. Uh, more than just something that's passive. This word that is used in Greek is a strong, it's a, an emotional word, it's a fiery word, it's a passionate praying together. And one almost gets the sense of how uh, we experience prayer in an African context where without thinking, if you call people to pray, then everybody just prays at once. And it's not just speaking in tongues, but everybody loudly, passionately prays together. And I think that captures some of what's going on here. Peter and John come back from the Sanhedrin, the council of all the elders and the authorities in Israel. And they raise their voices passionately to God. Not just in prayer meetings that we, we, we come together, but as the church now, we need to agree because it says in harmony, in concert, they came together. They raised their voices. There was a harmonious, a sense of oneness and unity, a decision that this was the right prayer to pray. This was the right thing. And we need to agree 
to what I'm going to say now as a people, as a congregation. We need to agree passionately and in a, in a way that is vested interest in this whole thing. Because the prayer starts with, Sovereign Lord, O Lord our God. It's, it's in a sense establishing right at the beginning, God rules. We are not hiding away in a corner here. Our God is in control of everything that's happening. In fact, they state that in the actual prayer. Message says, strong God. And I think it needs reminding for us that we come when we come to pray to our sovereign Lord, the one who rules, the one who's in control, the one who is strong and all-powerful. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in it. There is nothing that is made that you didn't make. God, you are the one who actually formed and shaped and brought this whole thing into being. You are the creator God. This is our God. This is the, the God that we come to when we open our minds and our hearts and our mouths in prayer. This is the God who is listening and who is waiting to hear what we have to say when we come to pray for those in need, to pray for those who need to be healed and restored and saved. Romans 8 says this in the NIV, it's verse 11, it says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, the message goes on to say like this, it stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God, if the Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead, moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus. If the Holy Spirit, this powerful presence of God, has moved into your life, if you have been immersed in God's presence and spirit, then, the, then he will do the same thing in you that he has done in Jesus. Paul captures some of this when he writes to the Ephesian church. And I, I think it's worth reading again because it just shoots adrenaline into our prayer bloodstream when you read words like this. This is Paul praying. He says in chapter 1 verse 19, um, verse 18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Let's have our eyes opened to what God has done in us, that he is the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in us. I've interrupted myself here. But, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. Now I'm going to start that again. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Paul falls over himself with words. This incomparable great power for us who believe. That's you. That's me. If this is not energizing you, I don't know what. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Again, Paul reiterates what he said to the Romans, that this incredible power that raised Jesus from the dead is the one that is 
in us and for us. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to head over everything for the church, for you and I, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Meditate on that passage because what it says a little further on in chapter 2 is that not only has he done that for Jesus and not only does the same power that resides in his spirit now reside in us, his body, his church, his people, you and me. But he goes on to say this, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. By grace we have been saved. And God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. What he has done in and through and for Jesus, he now does in and through and for us as the church. This is what, what the prayer at the beginning of Acts is, is trying to say. We cannot afford to be timid here. There is no sense of um, uh, shy, retiring um, violets as far as the church is concerned there is victory in the air there is praise there is a sense of let's move on with what God has in store for us this is important because we need to understand in a fresh way who exactly we are and as these people the saints these friends of John and Peter were gathered together and they were praying this passionate, emotional, fiery prayer. This is what they were praying. That God's power and that's God's authority is actually vested in us as his body, as the church. Let's be bold. Let's be confident. And then the passage that we read from um, Acts 4 after they've addressed God as the sovereign God, as the one who rules, who's strong, who made the heaven and earth, the creator God, as they've, they've established who he is, his power and authority, it goes immediately into a quote from verse 1 and 2 of Psalm 2. It's interesting, Psalm 2 and Psalm 110, the themes are very similar. They are the most quoted Psalms in the New Testament, both Psalm 2 and Psalm 110 are quoted nine times in the New Testament. Now we would quote Psalm 23, Psalm whatever, 121, those, those ones that are well known to us. For the Jews of their day, these were the Psalms that were high on the agenda. These were the Psalms that were being uh, quoted. And what Psalm 2 does is it bridges the gap between the ways of the world and God's ways. And let me just read um, a few verses to you from the message, because he seems to capture it quite well. The message, Psalm 2. And I will come back to Psalm 2 and Psalm 1 again in the context of how we learn to pray with power. Not this week, but in another week. Why the big noise, nations? Why the mean plots, peoples? Earth leaders push for position. Demagogues and delegates meet for summit talks. The God deniers and Messiah defiers. 
say, let's get free of God. And then it goes on to say this. The heaven-throned God, echo of what Paul is saying in, in Ephesians 1 and 2. The heaven-throned God breaks out laughing. The old language says, the Lord scoffs at them. It's a powerful, it's a powerful verse. At first he's amused at their presumption. Then he gets good and angry. And then it says in verse 6, Don't you know there is a king in Zion? Don't you know that there is a king in Zion? And I think that's the word to you and I in terms of post-Pentecost prayer, which is where we are. Don't you know that there is a king in Zion? Sovereign Lord, creator God, powerful God, God who is strong and mighty and authoritative. Don't you know there is a king in Zion? And verse 7 onwards says, let me tell you what God said next. He said, you're my son and today is your birthday. What do you want? Name it. Nations as a present, continents as a prize. You can command them all to dance for you or throw them out with tomorrow's trash. I think that's the word of God for us in the context of what's going on here and in terms of the power of the Holy Spirit that we have within us because the same Spirit lives in us who raised Jesus from the dead. Let me tell you what God says next. You're my son, you're my daughter, and today is your birthday. What do you want? Name it. What do you want? Name it. Now this isn't about selfishly saying, oh, I'd like a bigger house, a bigger car, whatever. This is about seeing God's kingdom come. What do you want? And then he goes on to list a whole lot of things and say, you could do this, you could do this, you could do this, you could do that. What do you want, people? What do you want to see? Because this is what's going on in the minds of those disciples as they meet with Peter and John after they've been released from prison. They're saying, God, we want to remind you of what Psalm 2 says. What do you want? What do you want? Verse 27 carries on and says, um, it affirms, in, this is now Acts chapter 4, it, it affirms that the rulers, the authorities that are around them only are able to do what God allows. They're not really in charge. God is in control. Let's remember that. And then in verse 7, uh, verse 28, sorry, it says, uh, no, verse 29. I'm tying myself in knots today. Verse 29, Acts chapter 4. And then it says, And now, Lord, having set this base, having said essentially what I've said to you now, they then say to God, And now, Lord, consider, take note, of their threats and grant that we may speak enable us to speak with the NIV says great boldness and the New American says with all confidence we don't have to generate boldness or confidence confidence it comes as a byproduct of our understanding of who we are we are sons and daughters of a living God we are we are children of the king, the sovereign Lord, the creator. 
the all-powerful, almighty, all-authoritative God of the universe. And he says to us, now, my sons and daughters, it's your birthday. What do you want? And I want to say to you today, it's your birthday. What do you want to ask God for? What do you want to get him to do for you? I get carried away with myself in this, this context. Then it goes on to verse 30. Because this is a direct line through what we've been saying. And now it says, And now, Lord, consider, take note, enable us to speak with great confidence or boldness. And verse 30, While your outstretched arm, your, while you stretch out your hand, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed in your name. Miracles. Here's the crux of it. We, in some senses, want to see healings and signs and wonders and miracles. It's as a result of us understanding and living out what we've already seen in this prayer. It's a byproduct, if you like. Not really, but it's, it's, it's a consequence. Let's say that's better. It's a consequence of us grasping the kind of authority and power we have because of who we are in Christ. And I think we don't see enough of this because we are not, we're timid. We, we, we're not conscious of being bold enough to say, in the name of Jesus, let's see this happen. And we want to see God's outstretched hand to heal. But it's done by us and through us. It's, this is incredible stuff. And at this point, what we should be saying is, yes, as I've taught you, amen, yes. Yes, Lord. That's not the end, though, because there, there's this theme, this anthem, this rhythm, if you like, in this passage, and, and, and it bleeds out into the next chapter. It's and then, and then, and then. And so I want to just read on a little bit further into Acts 4, because it says, and now, Lord, it says, and it says, and when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken, and they all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak of the, God, the word of God with boldness in all confidence. They prayed for this, and then the whole place was shaken up, and they spoke with boldness as a result of being filled in a fresh way by the Spirit of God. Come Holy Spirit, now in this minute, in this moment, as we uh, are together, as we listen, fall on us in a fresh way, as we grasp hold of what it is that you have done and are busy doing now in and through each of us and us together as your body. But that's not all. It carries on and it says, And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. There was a sense of, of unity. They were saying, yes, we want to see this together. It's your birthday. What do you want? We want to see healings, Lord. We want to see people set free, delivered. We want to see people reconciled and come into a deep and profound relationship with you to get saved. We want to see miracles and signs and wonders. 
even more. In verse 33 it says, And with great power the apostles were giving witness. And it says even more in, chapter, in verse 33, And abundant grace was upon them all. And they start to share, and it says further on, And they had, there was no one who had, great ne who had need. And after the Ananias and Sapphira thing, it says, And there was great fear. There was an, a sense of deep and profound awe that you can't mess around with this. It's not a game. And then in verse chapter 5, verse 12, it says, And the hand, at the hands of the apostles many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and all were with one accord in Solomon's portico. And in verse 14 of chapter 5, And all the more believers in the Lord were constantly added to their number. There is an ongoing sense of and, 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 and. The repercussions are like ripples. They're waves that move out from the sense of praying with the authority and the power that comes because of who we are in Christ. And Peter's shadow fell on people and they were healed. And in verse 16, it says this, And also the people from the cities and in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick and afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. We've lost, to a large extent, a sense of who we are. We've become timid, cowed down by the authorities and powers, the counsel of all those who have authority in this world. God's ways, and there's an echo all the way through uh, from Psalm 2 all the way through to Jesus who says, I am the way. God's ways are like this. And we need to come again together with a sense of boldness and a sense of confidence. And I'm saying to us as a people this morning, come on, guys. Let's grasp this. Let's say prayer is something that we want to do. Not just in a nebulous way in our little corner, which is absolutely fantastic and fundamental. But we want to agree with one accord, in unity, to pray for healing, for miracles, for signs and wonders, for salvation, for reconciliation, for forgiveness, to be the things that accompany us on the journey. We've seen a little bit of it lately. We've seen Derek healed, Maria in a good place, uh, Suzanne's mom. There's been so many things as we, I'm not, I don't want to main, name all of them, but the point is that we've seen God in action let it fire adrenaline into our veins of prayer. Let us come like these guys in, in our brothers and sisters in Acts 4 with a deep and profound sense of who God is and what he's about to do through us because spirit, the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in us. The message says, it stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God, the Holy Spirit, raised Jesus from the dead, moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus. How wonderful is that? And then God says to his people in Psalm 2, It's your birthday. What do you want? So, 
Let us pray.